0: Welcome to the Education and Training Foundation Leadership Mental Health podcast series, Changing Your Culture to Embed Mental Health and Wellbeing at the Heart of Further Education. These podcasts are part of a wider programme developed for ETF by the Association of Colleges and designed to create space for leaders to reflect on and share their journey towards self-awareness and positive mental health including a trauma-informed approach. This project is based on the belief that, through listening and learning and leading by example, a culture shift can be embedded, which starts at the top. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Chichester College, to Eileen Darby, who's the Group Director of SEND ALS and Welfare, and to Ria Voice, the Student Experience Coordinator, a former student and student president at the college. So welcome Eileen, welcome Ria and thank you very much for joining this podcast today. Hi Polly. Hello Polly. (laughs) Lovely to see you both, thank you for joining. In this podcast we want to focus on mental health support and what you've done really to implement mental health support for your learners. So let's start Eileen with you, by asking how Chichester College has approached mental health and well-being.
1: I think it's really important, first of all, to realise why we're doing it. Um, we've really focused on that trauma-informed approach, so it gives us a better understanding of the impact that trauma can have on that young person's, not just neurological, but the biological, the psychological and social development. This helps us break down the barriers that our learners affected by trauma, have experienced and increases our awareness of how trauma can negatively impact on a learner, their ability to feel safe and that developing those trusting relationships. It's about looking beyond those behaviours and looking about what they need rather than the focus on what's wrong. So that's why we've implemented this. We've looked at our approach within the curriculum but wider than that curriculum. So embedding it throughout our processes, our policies, our referral process, our support that we provide to ensure that the student is at the centre, as always, but we're looking at that wider picture. So we're looking at what's led up to those behaviours rather than the focus on the behaviour itself.
0: That's a real clear descriptor and it brings to mind that notion of the curiosity about what has happened to you, as opposed to what is wrong with you, which of course is the NHS approach to trauma-informed practice that you're currently embedding. So Ria, from a learner's point of view, from your point of view as a student, why do you think this is important? Is it important and does it matter to your peers?
2: I personally think it's really important. You have a lot of learners who come from secondary school into further education, who majority of them have no access or very little access to mental health and wellbeing support. So when they're coming to us, it's sort of our job to sort of pick up what they weren't supported with in school. I've seen firsthand sort of how life changing mental health and wellbeing support can be in FE from myself and from other learners around me when I was a student. And by the time that they're leaving us, They're thriving in what they're doing. They feel comfortable speaking to people. They can reach out to people. Yeah, I think it's really important.
0: Thank you so much, Ria. I'm going to come back to you in a minute. But Eileen, I just quickly want to ask you, how do you know the scale of need? You've talked about identifying the needs of your students and trying to meet those needs. But how do you identify the needs and what is the scale of need?
1: So it's in a number of ways, Polly. It's really important about the transition so that we're working with schools and other providers to ensure we get that information before. But it's also about our culture. It's that open environment. It's that encouraging young people to disclose and giving them several avenues of how to do that disclosure. So we have um, an excellent pastoral team. We work really closely with our curriculum areas. But also, as Ria said, students themselves. So students like Ria who has experienced the service herself and it's then that they are informing other young people. The student exec is very powerful within our group. We've trained them up not just to recognise but also to have that awareness to encourage others to come forward and disclose. The scale has increased. We all know there's an increase in mental health across the nation but also with the lack of funding for services externally that's why we've also had to increase what we provide internally so making sure all our staff are aware of those signs how they can report and refer through to us and what support we can provide internally ourselves.
0: This is the importance isn't it of the trauma-informed approach that we are lacking in external support most of the time for mental health and well-being issues but if we have a whole organisation approach to kindness and empathy and welcome and wanting learners to be in our buildings and building those trusting relationships you're really taking big steps to actually achieving a psychologically safe environment where learners can feel wanted and nurtured Rhea do you feel that do you feel that that's what Chichester has achieved and also how are the learners engaging with this process why would they engage with it?
2: It's definitely a safe space for hundreds of learners has been for years with engaging you'll get some learners that won't necessarily engage in the beginning some of them don't know how to especially after the pandemic a lot of them have been isolated for so long they're not quite sure on how to reach out to people and how to talk to people that's where the staff come in to build trust in relationships with those learners to try and work out what's going on with them because once you've sort of broken that barrier and they will talk to you they'll then speak to other people maybe that's with the college's counselling service or with the safeguarding officers or the well-being officers but it initially starts with building that trust with them because if they don't trust you they're not going to talk to you.
0: Wise words indeed dear. Going back to you, Eileen, what have the challenges been to embedding this cross-college service? Have there been any challenges? And if so, what were they?
1: We're a huge organisation. We are a number of colleges and we've just emerged again. So it's really important that we get that culture and it has to come from the top. And the only way you're going to change that culture is that you've got the buy-in of all your senior leadership team your managers, your staff and your students. Because if you haven't got the buy-in from everyone, that's when it isn't going to work. So we do an awful lot of work around our culture, our core values. You mentioned being kind. That is one of our values now, that kindness. That's how you permeate it through because you've then got that culture and you've got the buy-in from staff.
0: I'm in FE, so I'm understanding the, uh, the challenges of these questions on their own. But I'm really appreciating what you're saying, Eileen and Rhea. I want to ask you how you know that you've got staff buy-in, that the staff are all upholding these really important values and living trauma-informed culture in everything they do. Shall we bring Lisa Humphreys in at this point? That would be great. Welcome to Lisa Humphreys, who is Associate Principal for Students and Customers. And you're listening in on the conversation, Lisa, and you could hear that last... Question, so how are we measuring the impact on staff and their buy-in to this philosophy?
3: Great to be here and and talking about this subject with you, Polly, and my colleagues. And I'll come back to answer your question, if that's all right, Polly, is just to reiterate that cultural approach. When we talk about a cultural approach to how we pastorally care for our students and how we care for our staff and our communities, it's driven from that overarching strategy of our group from the top down. And I think when we talk about whether we have buy-in in these processes or approaches, Everything we put in place for supporting learners, for safeguarding, for trauma-informed, it all permeates through our policies and processes which are all backed up by quality assurance, which gives us that satisfaction that we can see it live in the classroom or in that curriculum area. But equally, it gives us an understanding of where it's not working so well in those areas. So for example, we have a whole host of data around our positive behavior management approach, which allows us to review and look at the issues that are happening with students on the ground in different areas, we have 10 campuses, seven colleges, thousands of students. We need to be able to see in practice if it's happening. And so we have a lot of information that we review regularly at all sorts of level that allows us to look at that staff buy-in. But equally, you're listening to Rhea, a former student president, and talking about the impact of students. We equally value our staff voice in this. And so as we move forward with our mental health and wellbeing strategy and looking at these trauma-informed practices, we're also going Gaining feedback from the staff as well through staff voice practice for attending team meetings. So when you ask about that buying, Polly, I think as a leadership team, we have put together enough of those sort of checks and balances to be able to temperature check regularly how our staff are buying in. And equally, working with some of that information and working with some of that feedback. We can tailor our professional development programs and myself and my teams and Eileen, we work closely with professional development and we'll look at the trends in that information and what it's telling us and where we're concerned about whether it's in practice in that place and then we will put in specific for that area professional development or we will come and attend team meetings Quite often for me and Eileen and some of my colleagues, it's a challenging conversation with curriculum. We'll attend a team meeting and they'll talk about what they're seeing in the classroom and why they're struggling with it. And why should I give that young person a chance? And for me and Eileen, quite often it's talking that out and actually really making them understand the impact of what they're seeing in the classroom. So, yes, it is demanding as far as heavy input from us and constant monitoring but actually the value we see in our students achieving and staying and those students that stay with us much longer because we understand them better and those things that Ria has talked about gives us that real rich sense that it's worth that effort that we put in. Kindness thing can't be undervalued. We're so focused on all of these different causes or issues that face us and we're in a world that's very challenging right now and there's an element of me personally that feels quite strongly We've forgotten that basic rule of being good human beings to each other and looking after each other and being considerate and kind. And it's certainly something at CCG now, at the college group, that we're really focused on that element of kindness, whether it be to students, to staff, to our visitors, to each other. And are we really being kind in what we're saying we're doing and in our approaches?
0: Thanks so much, Lisa. And I could not agree with you more, as you well know, that kindness, empathy, compassion and caring have to underpin all of our actions in education. And they do change the culture of an organisation and they do change the learner experience. I'm interested in whether through your data, and I know your data, Rich, and I've seen your dashboard and it's absolutely brilliant, whether you've identified any groups that are more reluctant to engage with mental health support because we have found that culturally sometimes it's much less comfortable to own mental health issues or challenges or indeed some safeguarding issues and challenges. Have you noticed any particular groups not engaging in this, Eileen? Culturally, I think you're
1: absolutely right. But I also think the work around our children looked after. I think they have been involved with so many services, social workers. You know, I work with one at the moment. They've had 10 social workers. So for them, it's exactly as Ria was saying at the beginning about that building up trust. They've just built up the trust of one social worker and then moved again. And for me, that group of learners in particular is one that we've had a real focus on this year as well, across the group. So I would say that group in particular, there has been some cultural with Crawley as well, but also Kate. I don't know if it's worth bringing Kate in there around our accommodation. Kate Stenning, the
0: Safeguarding and Wellbeing Officer. Do you want to make a brief comment about that? Thank you, Polly. Within our accommodation, we have some residential and international students. And again, I think it's just looking at those different cultures and the added challenges really that those young people have because obviously they are away from home and again they are from these different cultures and all thrown together in one place and i think our accommodation team has done some really good and specific training around that and we have international Ooh. staff as well which helps massively so we have a japanese counselor for example and it's using that expertise and really digging down deep into those different cultures that make such a massive difference for those young people when they come to us as well. Thanks very much, Kate. And going back to those culturally more sensitive issues like suicidal ideation and self-harm, I'm interested in the response from the male learners that you have, My own experience of that 10 years ago was that we had a very small proportion of male learners disclosing and trusting enough to disclose and a very high female. Then it got to 50-50 and it's now more males than females. And we have done an awful lot of work around that to make sure that we have that very inclusive approach. Have you found that? Ria
1: or Eileen, I'm coming to you. We introduced the Ask Twice And we found we saw a rise in exactly what you're saying, in the number of young men that were coming forward for help and support. And again, I think that's working with the student exec, it's the training they have. So when Lisa talked earlier about staff development, it also involves our student body. So the whole student exec is trained.
2: The student execs sort of take a lot of time working on equality, diversity and inclusion, there's a lot of work around breaking stigmas and things like that. So, you're seeing more of a male response because coming externally outside of college for a second, there's a lot of work on sort of social media and stuff coming from big companies on breaking that stigma that men don't have mental health issues and that they shouldn't reach out. And that they, there's almost that saying of man up, which I really don't agree with. See that's sort of dripping through generations and then it's hitting our learners. And there's sort of a lot of work going on to get other people to speak out. Because it shouldn't just be females that are speaking out. Everyone needs to speak up every now and again and sort of the Ask Twice campaign that has seriously helped.
0: The use of language is so important, isn't it? Which brings me nicely on to just asking you a little bit about your apprentices and your employers. And how do you spread this ethos wider? Lisa, do you want to speak about that briefly?
3: Polly, if you wouldn't mind, I'd just like to make another point about that whole thing about those areas as well, because you're absolutely right. We've seen trends in those that are not disclosing, those that are disclosing. And I think one of the significant changes in recent years is actually that recognition that we received in the new education inspection framework around the the need for that personal development, which refocused us in a way. And for us, we introduced a programme of interactive workshops with students led by pastoral teams And one of the unexpected consequences for me when we did that and over the last few years as we monitored that, the more we gave students a safe space to talk about these issues, to discuss and debate them with no necessarily an outcome or learning point, just a discussion to make informed choices, we naturally saw more people disclosing things to us, disclosing things to our pastoral teams, things about themselves, things that they weren't sure about, things that they're struggling with. And so I I don't think we can take away too much from that, just giving young people a safe space to talk about these things that are affecting them, whether it be suicide or self-harm or actually just how the world is influencing them. I think that's really important. And I think the personal development focus now within FA gives us that opportunity. It gives us that opportunity to really look at these young people and say, what can we do to help you move forward? Because it's much broader than just the qualification now. Moving on to your questions around apprentices and employers, I think we all struggle in the sector to be able to support apprentices quite the same way because of the contact that we have. And it's certainly something we're looking at very closely. It's not something I have a magic answer to right now. And I think one of the things that we've done in recent years and as certainly as our mental health and wellbeing strategy is to look at all the things that we do for full-time 16 to 18, 19-plus programmes and say, well, where's the equivalent for an apprentice? And it might be an adjusted approach and it will be, for example, apprenticeship voice and the, how we look at how we're getting that uh, a voice from uh, listening to our apprentices. But actually, it's t- for, for me, um, in my areas and with Eileen and some of my teams, is looking at our processes and going, is this easily accessible to an apprentice? And at the moment, I'll be very honest and say a number of ours is not. We're not at the place we should be to support those apprentices. And we need to make sure that we are focusing on and we do actually have a quality improvement plan for that area to look at how we are able to say that our apprentices get the same standard of support as our full-time students whether they be adults or young people I think you add the dynamic of being in the workplace to it particularly young apprentices but actually all apprentices there is an element of us needing to look at how that mental health in the workplace is affecting them engaging with us in the college as well and so there's an element linked obviously to an employer's Now, we will run sessions with employers, we will have skills advisory panels, we have regular meetings, employer engagement, and equally, our apprenticeship coaches who look after our apprentices are in constant contact with employers around what's going on and well-being. And there's the standard processes that we have with an employer to make sure they understand their responsibilities and the support for that learner. But are we really pushing our employers harder on mental health and well-being? I don't know the answer to that, Polly. I think there is an element of how much can we do? We can keep driving that agenda and we'll keep asking the welfare questions and we'll talk to the employer about how to support an apprentice. But actually there is a a much wider remit that's not just about from FE but generally about mental health in the workplacement. And I think probably FE could contribute a lot to that but
0: we can't do it on our own. Thanks so much, Lisa. And I think that will be reflected right across the sector. And I mean the education sector, be that ITPs or FE colleges. That's a a really good summary. Thank you very much. I'm asking this question in every podcast about how you look after your own mental well-being. Being kind is about Caring for yourself, isn't it? Being kind to ourselves. And we have to keep reminding people that we give out all this kindness and we do give out all this care, but we have to remember to put ourselves in the mix. And in the last podcast, Georgie Ford did my favourite quote of all time, which was, having a bath isn't self-care, it's washing And actually, what you need to do with self-care might be a a bit more uh, meaningful than that. So I'm going to come to you, Eileen, and just say, what have you learned yourself on this journey of embedding health and well-being across your organisation? And how do you ensure that you take care of yourself as well?
1: I think you're absolutely right. It is about if we don't look after ourselves, how do we look after our young people? So for me, it's that Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, when I first started this strategy with Lisa and Paul and Kate and others, I think I expected it to move quicker as well sometimes, but we can't do that. It has to be a slow approach so that we get it consistent and we get it right. Looking after me, I love that quote and I'm going to remember it now because that probably is me. But it's the importance of those around us as well that I have got the rest of the team to sound off to. You know, I think our jobs are difficult. I think when you're dealing with mental health on a daily basis, as we all do, the importance of having that sounding board, that critical friend, that person at the end of the day says, it's OK, Arneen, actually, you can't solve everything and you've got someone there for you. So having that for me has, yeah, been the most important thing. I'm going to come to you next,
0: Lisa, for how, how do you look after yourself in all of this?
3: When I was interviewed for my job, my current job, Associate Principal, over the last summer after the changes, it's one of the questions I was asked at interview, which I thought was fascinating, because actually as a senior leader in FE, when we're working in the absolute crazy world we do, quite often the last thing that we're thinking about is ourselves. We're thinking about how we're going to do everything for everyone else, how we're going to make a difference to our students, how can we support our staff to deal with the day-to-day things that we deal with. And so for me to be asked at interview, it was really quite interesting. And it made me reflect quite a lot because I'm not necessarily always the best at making sure I look after myself and the people on the call know that. However, aside from the hot tub, which you know is a favourite place of mine to be, and I have to get it in because you mentioned the bath, what I found really important is having positive things to focus on. And I think a massive change for me in my well-being happened a decade ago when I got involved with the projects in Kenya and were able to focus some of that energy and ensure I get positivity and that sort of just regenerate my soul in the work that we do out there and in the project work that we work with and the people that we work with there. On a very day-to-day level, I try and replicate that positivity in different things that I do and different things that I get to look forward to, whether it be with family, whether it be here at college and in our day-to-day work. And every time I look at Ria or another student that we've been able to make a difference to, I remind myself why I'm here. And I think it comes back to this, Polly. What are we here to do? What do I want to achieve? Am I here to deal with all those conversations and deal with every complaint and solve every problem? No, I'm here to make a difference. And all I've got to keep doing for my own well-being is asking myself, am I making a difference? And that's what I will do.
0: That's so lovely, Lisa. And it's so true. And I've been honoured to be in Kenya with both Lisa and Ria. And uh, and it is life-changing and it does put things into perspective. And Ria, when we were in Kenya, we spoke quite a lot about your journey and we could do a whole podcast on your journey, Ria, and maybe that will be the next one to do. We're not probing too personally in these podcasts, but I'm really interested, Ria, in number one, how you look after yourself and your own mental health That's the first part of the question. But the second part of the question is, what do you think we in education could do better or more of?
2: As you know, because of our talks in Kenya, been on one hell of a journey. When I was 16, sort of first was approached by my student tutor to try and speak out about how I was feeling and what was going on. She said to me, she was like, Ria, you need to look after yourself. And I was like well I am looking after myself I get up in the morning I go to college she's like no you need to do things that you enjoy you need to feel peace within yourself and for months I was thinking I just do my day-to-day life but actually there's so much more to it than that um for me personally I like spending a lot of time outside in places like the woods or the beach I feel if I connect with the universe I feel okay in myself spend a lot of time in the bath with a bright blue face mask to be very specific and I spend a lot of time with animals as well I think when you're supporting yourself with positive people and you're just speaking all the time about how you're feeling especially if you're feeling good to get that out to other people that also makes other people feel good so that's sort of how I look after myself I do a lot of talking and a lot of walks Um, more that FE could do for learners I'm very fortunate in the fact that I was a student at the Chichester College Group, and they're very focused around mental health and well-being and support. But I know not every college in the country is like that. Um, sometimes I think to myself that other colleges need to take a leaf from our book. Just be there for the students. No, no two students are the same. You can't look at one student and think, right, that support worked for them, so it's going to work for them, because it's not necessarily going to. And that's the same with anything. You need to treat them like individuals. You need to be person centred and. You can't be judgmental on how they're acting you just need to you need to take them for who they are work out what's going on and go from there
0: thank you ria and that is a fantastic message to end this podcast on it really is and i hope that all of those listening have taken your message to heart thank you very much to all of you and thanks to those who are listening to this podcast This programme is delivered by the Association of Colleges, commissioned by the Education and Training Foundation on behalf of the Department of Education.